Lord, we believe when the Word and the Holy Spirit come together that it's a powerful thing. We're a Word and Spirit church. And I pray today, Lord, that you would just move in our midst to accomplish your will and purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to talk about patience in a time of instant gratification. It's never been tougher to teach on patience than it is right now, okay? It's true. So let's read James chapter 5, and James actually, in verses 7 through 12, talks about different dimensions of patience. We're going to look, I think, at three of them primarily today, and we'll look at another one uh, next week. I felt like I needed to take a couple weeks on this uh, portion of Scripture. But James begins, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, be patient as you wait for the Lord's return. Consider the farmers who patiently wait for the rains in the fall and in the spring. They eagerly look for the valuable harvest to ripen. You too must be patient. Take courage for the coming of the Lord is near. Okay, here's the hard part. Don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you too will be judged. For look, the judge is standing at the door. For examples of patience and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, look at the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. We give great honor to those who endure under suffering. For instance, you know about Job, a man of great endurance, and you can see how the Lord was kind to him at the end, for the Lord is full of tenderness and mercy. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. So let's take time. Some of these things that James say are a little hard to understand, but we're going to unpack uh, some of these things that he's saying. Found a great, great quote from a cowboy, actually a uh, cowboy author, uh, Oren Arnold. I love. He wrote the Cowboy's Prayer. If you've ever heard that, Janice and I were out uh, in Wyoming uh, at the uh, we were uh, at the rodeo. Uh, we actually sat at a table with a bunch of rodeo riders and. I remember seeing the Cowboy's Prayer up on the wall, and I think Oren Arnold is the one that wrote that. But here's what he said. He said, Dear God, I pray for patience, and I want it right now. How many of you feel that way? I remember as a young Christian saying, Lord, I am so tired of, of sinning and, and doing things that grieve your heart. Would you take away all my temptation? It was only years later that I realized I was inviting God to take me home instantly to heaven, because that's the only time we're not going to have temptation, and we're not going to have the battle. So I amended my prayer, and I said, Lord, would you give me strength instead to persevere until you're ready to take me home? And uh, But that's the truth. But the world we live in is not a world that fosters patience, is it? Janice and I have a magic porch. Maybe you do too. We dial uh, phone numbers. We do things on the internet, and things appear on our porch. The other day, it was amazing. I, I ordered something. <laughs> yeah, our dog loves it. Watches for these. She just waits there by the little side windows for our door for the FedEx or the UPS guy to come. Gives her something to do in the wintertime. Anyway, I couldn't believe it. I ordered something at night, and it was there the next morning. It just showed up on the magic porch. And some, sometimes when things don't come when I think they should, I find myself getting a little bit impatient. You have to understand, how many of you are 30 or under? Hallelujah. I wish I was part of that group right now. And that I knew all the things that I know now. Okay, let me tell you something about the 30 and under group. This is, this for you, you've grown up in this. This is normal to you. For me, this reminds me of the Bugs Bunny cartoon. 
where he goes out to this, he puts a letter in his mailbox, puts the flag up, and all of a sudden, zook, there's an answer. This guy comes up within about, you know, 10 seconds, and he has an instant answer. We're living in Bugs Bunny world, you know, to have things appear on my ports that way. Well, Timex, Timex Watches did a, talked about how long people are willing to wait, and uh, they, this is um, actually from a study they did. It says, when Timex asked people how long they would wait before taking action in a wide variety of situations, researchers discovered that we'll consent to wait only 13 seconds before we honk at a car in front of us that stopped at a green light. Research in my particular family cuts that time in half. I thought, 13 seconds is too long to wait, man. <laughs> also, I have to confess at this time that one of the greatest... Um, arguments that Janice and I had recent times is whether or not you're allowed to honk the horn when you're not driving. <laughs> I didn't say it was you. <laughs> Everybody knows it's Janice. 26 seconds before we shush people who are talking in a movie theater. I think I would come in under 26 seconds on that one. 26 seconds before we take the seat of someone who's walked away. I've seen people waiting, you know, just kind of like vultures. And they see somebody get up and it's just, bam, jump on a seat. 45 seconds before we ask someone who's talking loud on a cell phone to keep it down. And by the way, some of these are risky behaviors and are not endorsed by River of Life Community Church. 13 minutes for a table at a restaurant. People will wait. 20 minutes for a blind date to show up before we leave. I would cut that in half at least, too, yeah. I don't know. I, I guess I'm less patient than most Americans, but this is what the study says. And 20 minutes for the last person to show up for Thanksgiving dinner before we dig in. So just an interesting study there. found another article that was interested, too, uh, called Instant Gratification is Making Us Perpetually Impatient. I think we need to realize how our culture affects us. I think we need to realize how the things around us, and, our, and there are so many wonderful breakthroughs in technology that have shortened times on how things happen in our lives. But it's not always good for our soul. And this was an article in the Boston Globe uh, written by a guy named Christopher Mother. He says, demand for instant results is seeping into every corner of our lives. The need for instant gratification is not new, but our expectation of instant has become faster. Retailers are jumping into same-day delivery services. Smartphone apps eliminate the wait for a cab, a date, or a table at a hot restaurant. Movies and TV shows begin streaming in seconds. But experts caution that instant gratification comes at a price it's making us less patient. We've come to expect things so quickly that researchers found people can't wait than more than a few seconds for a video to load. One researcher examined the viewing habits of 6.7 million internet users. How long were the subjects willing to wait to be patient? Two seconds. After that, they started abandoning the site. Two seconds. After five seconds, the abandonment rate is 25%, and when you get to 10 seconds, half are gone. The results after a glimpse into the future. As internet speeds increase, people would be even less willing to wait for that cute puppy video. The researcher who spent years developing the study worries someday that people will be too impatient to conduct studies on patients. 
How many of you remember uh, when America Online first came out? What was that, 90, 1990, somewhere around there? And your computer would dial in, and you got this tone. And I remember when it went up to 1,200 baud. That was really fast. And you would, there was a handshaking thing. And there was the, you know, the protocols that were followed, whatever. And sometimes this, you could walk away and go make coffee and come back by the time your computer connected, if you got a good line. If you watch shows from the 90s and you remember The Matrix or uh, You've Got Mail, and I heard that sound again. It brought back all these memories. And I realized, you know, that, you know, that whole thing now. Now I get on and I want instant service like that. But what's this doing to our hearts? And what does it do? How does it influence how we look at life? We've gone a long way from send in. When I was a kid, I remember sending something in with box tops and a few bucks. You could actually mail money through the mail, by the way. And uh, it would come in six to eight weeks, and we thought that was really cool. The world we live in has seen some amazing technological advantages, especially in the last 50 years. But they don't seem to foster character qualities that God wants to build in our hearts. The book of James, chapter 5, tells us that patience is essential if we're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, James looks at several different kinds of patience. He's talking about patience for the coming of the Lord, patience with one another. He says, don't grumble against one another. Don't get impatient with each other. And then he talks about patience through suffering. So we're going we're gonna to just start today, get into a couple of these things, and we're going to talk about more of this in uh, the weeks to come. But what are some practical ways to develop patience in an age of instant gratification? And what do we do when things come our way that weren't part of our plan? Sometimes suffering comes our way, sometimes things that block our hopes and dreams, sometimes things don't unfold the way that we had planned it to unfold, sometimes God's timing seems to be different than our timing. Those are things that try our faith, aren't they? So how do we develop patience? There are several things I want to look at today. Number one, we need to learn to trust God's timing. Good news is God wants us to be like him. God is patient. Do you know why God waits to return for his son to return to this planet? He tells us, he says he is patient with us. He's not willing that any should perish. He's waiting for people to respond. He's waiting for other people to get on the bus. And he doesn't want to leave anybody behind. God is patient. When he moves slower than we want him to, it's often because he has a higher purpose that's even greater than we can imagine. 2 Peter 3.8 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God doesn't want one person on the planet to be lost. He's wanting us to get this, and join him in his purposes so that we can help accomplish what he wants to do in his kingdom, and he's taking his time because he loves a bunch of other people that we don't know yet. The early church had a saying, Maranatha, in other words, come quickly, Lord Jesus, and I say that, but I also say, Lord, take as many people off this planet to go with you when the time comes. Take as many home with you as you can. And we need to be part of that. That's part of God's patience. I remember I had a uh, uncle who was a blessing in my life in so many ways, but also was a challenge for me in many ways as well. 
he took me on a father and son retreat, I think when I was about 12 years old. And I remember having a poignant talk as we were walking along the shore of Lake Erie. And he says, you know what? He said, they've been telling me Jesus is coming back ever since I'm going to be a kid. He's not coming back. Great thing to tell a little kid, you know, who's growing in his faith. So my uncle went on. He's there right now. And he did come to the Lord later. He did repent of his sins and he came to the Lord. But I wonder what he would say today. Because now he's got God's perspective. You know what I'm saying? The Bible even says that people in the last days will mock and they'll say, where is his coming? Where is this coming that he promised? Where is this prophetic reality of what God has done? Now, if you know where we are in the prophetic timeline, then you understand that things are happening that God prophesied through his prophets thousands of years ago, like Nate, uh, the Israel becoming a nation again, that are, would have seemed impossible 100 years ago. And yet it's happening today. So God's word is coming to pass. Hang on, folks. The Lord's in control. And he's got a timing, and it doesn't necessarily co correspond to our timing. We can become impatient, and we can say, where are you, Lord? Where are you? And if you have ever watched uh, the movie uh, Fiddler on the Roof, remember the Jews that were going in Russia in the movie through the pogroms, through the persecution, and the rabbi says, Messiah, now would be a good time for you to come. How many of you have felt that? Lord, evacuate the planet. <laughs> It's broken. We need your help. Please come back. So I think a lot of us feel that way. A lot of us have had that experience. I read a story a while ago about a young lady, 12 years old, from the New York City area, Adianez Rodriguez Espada, a 12-year-old student from New York. And she had signed up to be part of a 4K race. She was worried she was going to be late, so she's telling her mom in the car, come on, we've got to go. 5K race, actually, 5K. So she gets there, and she sees all these people in the starting line, and she shows up. She gets her number. She gets in the race just in time to take off at the starting gun. The problem is she accidentally left with another group, and it wasn't the 5K. She was running a marathon. So she focused on putting one foot in front of the other and didn't realize until the four-mile mark that the end was nowhere in sight. <laughs> what would you have done? Said, well, I made a mistake. Let me get off the path here. It says, turning to another runner, she asked, how much further? And that's when it struck me that I was in a half marathon instead of a 5K. So Brenda Leah spotted her mother, lost track, couldn't find her daughter. She shows up, and there's the other race getting ready to go. And she says, where's my daughter? finally figures out what's happening and got to the finish line just in time to see her daughter getting a medal. Now, this is interesting. So she said, two hours after I started looking for her, I saw that one of the police officers had found her, and I saw she had a medal. She finished 13.1 and placed 1,885th of 2,101 runners. Usually don't get a medal for that, but she was over 10 years younger than anybody that was in the race. She said, I don't know how I did it. And uh, her mom said, I'm so proud of her. But sometimes we start this race with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we take off, and our expectation is that we're running a 5K race. I don't know about you, but I'd have a hard time finishing the 5K race. I could probably do it with a little bit of training. But you get going, and you said, Lord, I didn't sign up for this. This is not the race I signed up for. 
this isn't necessarily the way I want it to run. Maybe there are things happening. You're saying, Lord, I didn't expect this in my journey. And a lot of people come to Jesus and they say, Lord, I know that you're faithful and that you're going to work everything for good in my life. And the expectation is they're never going to have pain, suffering, discouragement, challenges, or all sorts of other things. Janice and I, after moving to our new home, we downsized and we were just taking a moment to look back over years and we said, how do we survive all those things? We started writing down, looking at all these things we had been through, hardships, challenges. Yeah, death. How many people we lost? No, it was more like nine or 10 people that we loved. We lost in a short period of time. And I remember one morning Janice getting up and she said, I feel like the Lord is saying, prepare. God is going to take some of our loved ones home. But I didn't realize it was going to be about nine. It started with my uh, roommate in college, the pastor who mentored me, my two uncles, my mother, and eventually all the way through to my dad, a whole list of people. And I thought, boy, this is, this is a tough part of the race. This is the part where you want to give up and say, I don't know about this. But how many of you have had those times in the race where you say, Lord, this isn't the race I, I signed up for? Or maybe I got in the wrong, the wrong starting gate. <laughs> this is the time where we need to look at, and I'm referencing Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where it says, we need to fix our eyes on the Lord and throw off everything that would weigh us down. And he uses the image of a runner. He says two things. He says, throw off the sins that so easily entangle you, those those sins that will drag you down, and throw off the weights that you're running with. I remember we had a similar experience to this in Costa Rica. We I had about three months of Spanish language, so I was really good. I thought. We decided to take a bus trip on the weekend to Jaco Beach in Costa Rica, so we got on the bus. What I didn't know is there were three exits for the hotel. There were three exits for the town that we were going to. I got off the first one, which precipitated a three-mile walk with my family and probably 120 pounds of luggage in 105 degrees, and it's not dry heat there. (laughs) I think I lost about two gallons of water by the time we made it to the hotel. I got off the wrong exit. I had to walk. We feel that way sometimes, don't we? But if we fix our eyes on the Lord, if we fix our heart on him, God will give us the strength to move on and be where he wants us to be. I will tell you this, when I got to our hotel to get rid of that, I think it was we had a giant duffel bag with everybody's stuff in it. I must have lost eight pounds carrying that from the bus stop to where I was going. And I dropped it and I said, man, I'm going to get on the right bus next time. And there's a lesson in that. God wants to teach us, doesn't he? He wants us to grow. He wants us to persevere through the the times that we're persevering through. Okay, number two in developing patience. The best things in life are worth waiting for. Most of the best things in life aren't instant. You can't get them on the internet. Sorry if I'm disillusioning you. We need to discern the season. Don't work when it's a season of rest. And I've seen a lot of Christians do this. God will bring them into a season of rest, and what they'll do is they'll work right through it. So what is the Lord saying to you in your season? I love Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, 
a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, and a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So what's the season that you're in right now? You need to know whatever it is is going to change, but we need to discern the season that we're in, and we need to seek the Lord, and we need to develop patience in God doing in us what he wants to do. But can I tell you that sometimes the best things like relationships are worth waiting. They take time to develop. When things develop at the speed of relationship, and we're in rela- if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in relationship with the living God. Things don't just happen instantly. He doesn't just download into our heads all of the character and all of the wisdom that he wants to give us. It comes through life experiences where the Lord deals with us, where the Lord speaks to us, where the Lord shows us things. And sometimes in those difficult chapters, we need to comfort ourselves. And Ecclesiastes is a rare book to comfort. (laughs) I've got to be honest about that. But I love this scripture because it tells us that the season we're in is going to come to an end. You won't always be in this season. There's a season of grief. There's a season of healing. I laughed when I was reading this because I remember gathering all these stones at our other property and with our tractor and putting them where I wanted to do. We moved into this new house and this lady had a stone farm there. I don't know where she had all these landscaping stones. So we put a thing on Craigslist and for two weeks we had people showing up to take our rocks away. Our neighbors were amazed. They said, how did you do that? (laughs) We just put free rocks on Craigslist and people showed up. We met some really fun people. We met some really cool people. But there's a time to gather stones and there's a time to give them away. And we need to know what that season is. Don't fight the season of God, but find what God's heart and purpose is in the season that you're in. The third thing is a key, no matter what season you're in. And this is what I think the Lord was saying to us today. Choose thanksgiving and praise as your posture and not grumbling and complaining. James says, when he's talking about patience here, he says, don't grumble and complain about the people around you. Grumbling and complaining is anti-praise. God can't ever bless it. If you have unforgiveness in your heart, if you're angry with people, if you see the dark side of things, if you're always uh, offended by people around you or by things around you, you're not going to break through to the victory that God wants you to have. You need to get free, and that means downloading and offloading the stuff from your heart that would weigh you down. Grumbling is something that God doesn't want us to do. James 5, 9 says, don't grumble about each other, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. Pretty stark words there. We understand that when we hold people to a standard, that's the same standard God uses against us in judgment. So choose a good standard in judging other people. I say, give them mercy, God. (laughs) Isn't it true? 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. People ask me all the time, what's God's will for my life? I'm not sure what his specific will is, but I'll tell you right now, if you're not living a life of praise and thanksgiving for the good things he's already done for you, you're not going to find the specific will. 
It's a posture of praise and thanksgiving that liberates God to work in our hearts. He wants to bless you. I believe God wants to bless you with all sorts of good things. God wants to show you his way. He wants to provide for you. He wants to do good things in you. But if you are opposed to him by holding unforgiveness, by complaining, by grumbling, he can't do anything for you. And that's a hard thing to think of sometimes. He can't, he can't do a thing. Many years ago, there was a man in our church, sophisticated guy, and I, I don't think he'd mind me sharing the story. Of course, I won't share his name, and he's been gone for 20 years, so don't try to figure out who it was. But he was an executive in a company nearby, and he came to me one time. He said, can I meet with you? And I said, yeah, and we're in my office. And he said, everything you're saying about the Holy Spirit, he said, I love it. He said, but I can't feel anything. He said, other people around me are raising their hands, and they're full of the joy of the Lord. He said, I just can't feel the thing. And I said, can we just pray and listen to the Lord and see what the Lord says? And we prayed, and we listened to the Lord. And all of a sudden, what came to me is a question. I said, were you involved in the occult years ago? He said, yeah, I was involved in uh, stuff like that, and I was on the dark side. He said, I was involved in occultic things, demonic things. I said, have you ever confessed that? and uh, ask the Lord to forgive you. And he said, no, actually, he said, I just did the one thing, one size fits all, Lord, forgive me for everything, and I accept Jesus into my heart. I believe God wants us to be specific in repentance. So I said to this gentleman, I said, and we're, here's he and I in, our office, in my office, and I said, would you confess that right now? He did, he confessed that, and then the tears began to come. And next thing you know, he was filled with the joy of the Lord, and he started praising God out loud. And the next thing I knew, he was praising God in tongues. He was praising God in an entirely new language. He was so full of the joy of the Lord. He says, I can't believe this. He said, I felt like a dam just broke in my heart. And I said, you know what I think? I can tell you his name's Bill. That's a common enough name. I said, Bill, you know what I think? I said, I think God's been wanting you to bless you like that for a long time. I think that's stored up blessings for years, and the Lord's just been waiting for you to repent and open the door for the Lord to do in you everything that he wanted to do. You're awfully quiet today. It's true, isn't it? It's true. Thank you, Jesus. When you begin to worship the Lord, what happens is it restarts your spiritual compass. Because when we don't have a thankful heart, we're looking the wrong way. You say, but wait a minute, you don't know the bad things that happen to me. Bad things happen to everybody. In this life, we will have trouble, Jesus says, but take heart for I have overcome the world. People will do ungodly bad things. They will rob you. They will say nasty things to you. They will do every kind of injustice. There are people that are racist. There are people that are bigoted. There are people that hate Christians. There are people that, I mean, you can talk, people will do bad things, but guess what? If you have a thankful heart, God's going to give you the ability to overcome and the perspective to know how to navigate this life and be an overcomer. And that's what this whole thing is about, about patience. You say, well, I, I didn't know that was patience. Yeah, that's patience to be able to bear up under what we are experiencing in our life and say, God, what are you doing in this situation? Help me to be an overcomer. That's patience. Start here with praising God and having a heart of thanks. And from there on, the Lord will show you the way to go. One other scripture about that, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 12. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, 
but much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. By the way, he's not saying there that we should save ourselves. When he says work that out, he says work out your obedience and your maturity in Christ. That's what he's talking about. He said, for it's God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Is he telling the truth there? Do we live in a warped and crooked generation? That's a good way to put it. He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. So we need to have a heart of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. We're studying the book of Daniel on Wednesdays, and I love the story of Daniel so much. You look at what happened in Daniel's life, and it's almost like Joseph in in Genesis chapter 37. You look at this guy that has a whole list of injustices against him, all these things that have happened, not least of which is he's been taken as a prisoner of war to another country, and he had to walk hundreds of miles to get there. He lost everything he had, every dream he had, all these relationships. He didn't know where his family was. You start putting yourself in Joseph's shoes, and you think, this is a pretty rotten situation. In the midst of this whole thing, if you look at the end of the book, Joseph becomes a leader in three world empires and ends up sharing the goodness of God literally with probably millions of people. How does that happen? At some point, Joseph, instead of becoming bitter and angry, Joseph, excuse me, Daniel, instead of becoming bitter and angry, he says, God must have a higher purpose in this. Now, let me stop here and say something, and this is where people get funny about theology. I don't think God's highest and best purpose was that Israel would be judged and that Babylon would invade them. I can't explain how things work. I can't tell you why things happen. People always know, why does God allow these things happen? I don't know. I, don't, I can't give you the answer. All I do know is in the midst of all that injustice, and Daniel was suffering because of the sins of people for generations. Is that fair? Because my grandparents or great-grandparents made stupid decisions and turned to idolatry. Is that fair now that our country's being judged? And yet, in the midst of all this, Daniel sees a higher purpose. And he kept his heart sweet and allied to God, and the Lord was able to use him in the midst of that. That's where God wants us to be. You can't control the things that happen to you. You can't control some of the things that come your way. People will make bad decisions. You're driving, and someone, I was going home from church one day. I was going up Route 91, and some guy got into his truck there on the angle parking there, right there in the square in Hudson, and took off at about 25 miles an hour and slammed right into the side of my truck. Yeah, good thing I was in the truck. I was up a little bit higher then. He got out, and I, well, I won't get into details. (laughs) But I was a little bit stunned. And he says, I had no idea you were there. I said, apparently not. Let's just leave it at that. But I thought, God, why do these things happen? I could have died. But you look at those things and you go, Lord, why do you let these things happen? And I'm having a really hard time here finding your higher purpose in this, God. And that's that's an easy one compared to some of the other things that happen in our life. Can we be honest about it? There are things that knock the breath out of us. But if we take a moment and we really seek the Lord, and I don't know how it happened in Daniel's life. I know there was a lot of prayer involved. 
at the beginning of his service with Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, it says that um, the chief of the guard came to his house and he says, hey, you guys need to report to uh, the palace because we're going to kill all the magi and all the wise men. And then he goes, why? He didn't even know why it happened. So Daniel begs the king for a short time to pray and find out the answer to the king's question. And it led to a whole night of prayer where Daniel and his three friends cried out to God. That's usually where we need to be to find the answers from God and say, Lord, what's the higher purpose? What's the higher direction here? And we're going to get to in James a little bit further down in chapter 5 where he says, is any of you in trouble? Let him pray. Sometimes the last thing we do is seek God's heart, or the last thing we do is go to the Word and look for the answers. But that's what the Lord is calling us to do, and that's what patience is, allowing God to do it uh, His way and that way. I think we're going to stop here, and we'll pick it up next week. Can we just take a moment and just bow our heads? I want to take a moment of silence because I feel like this is not just another this is not just another message in the series I'm doing on James. Sometimes when I do a series I'm amazed because God seems to put things in the series exactly where it needs to be when we need it. And I feel today that with the words that came beforehand from those ladies from Janice and Donna what Dinah shared, Lord, I, I think those are all things the Lord is speaking to us right now. And I'm sure that there are a number of us here that have questions and say, Lord, why are things happening the way they are? God wants to comfort us today, and he wants you to know that he hasn't abandoned you. Just because hard things come our way, Some of the greatest men and women in Scripture were people that faced incredible adversity. Joseph being sold by his brothers, sold into slavery. Daniel being taken as a prisoner of war. I mean, you look at some of these stories and you think, wow. Mary being chosen by God to be the mother of Jesus and having nobody around her understand what a virgin birth was all about and judging her. I want you to think about these things. Sometimes when God chooses us, the path is not always easy. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us this morning. Before we leave this place, we just want to take a moment to lift up to you, God, the season of the life that we're in. Thank you, Jesus. Help us, God.